0: Well, I invite you to open your copy of the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, the passage that we've read earlier in the service. This is what we're going to entitle Shadows. We're getting into a, an aspect where uh, still Christ is better. Christ is better. He's better than the prophets. Uh, and from from eternity past, you might say in Hebrews chapter 1, Uh, The preacher of Hebrews is is moving chronologically forward. So he begins in kind of eternity past with the word, the eternal word that was there uh, making creation, instrumental in creation. Uh, And then says he spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but he's spoken to us in his son. This Christ is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels of eternity's realm. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron, the priest. And he brings to us, as we move into chapter 8 and following, a better covenant. We might say a better relationship. A covenant is a relationship that God sets up with us and guarantees with his word. And his word is sure. He swears by himself that he will indeed keep his word. There is nothing higher by which to swear, but God. And so God swears by himself. He will keep his promises. Shadows. We think of shadows, though we we think of something that isn't isn't real. We can be still scared because the shadow may illumine something that, that must be real behind it. And sometimes the shadow is bigger and looks scarier than the original and sometimes it's usually, you know, when, when I end up in a shadow, the shadow is smaller than me. I don't know, it just must be the way the light hits me. You know, it's not like you, like the cartoons where a big giant shadow comes around the corner. Now, sometimes the original is bigger than the little shadow that you see. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an image, now, sometimes we were sneaking around, like we talk about playing night crossings, and we're moving around the building, trying to sneak to the other end of the building with our little mark of our paper, and we want to hide in the shadows. We want to stay in the shadows, lest we get caught by the light shining upon us. Men love darkness rather than light. Shadows. But they're not real. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that there is, in fact, a real place. A real place. And it's not what you think. He says, the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, you know, better than Melchizedek, better than Aaron, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So, again, just recapping where we've been in chapter 7, we have a better priest one who lives eternally he goes on and on he, he's unending he lives forever this priest will not die he's raised to life and continues and and not only this but he is he is ascended to heaven and at the right hand at the right hand of the father from where it's he came and he's seated. So we were reminded that priests, you can read ahead to chapter 10, I think, about verse 3. And it says the ironic priests never got to sit. They stand. Because their work is never done. There's always another sacrifice to offer. Jesus' work is done. Completed. And thus he's able to sit as priest and continuing to notice he continues working and living at the right hand of the father applying all that he's accomplished on behalf of his people continues to make application of it and he's seated at the right hand a great high priest and the king of kings a royal high priest but where is he well he's there seated at the right hand of the father i'm sorry it's hebrews 10 verse 11 every priest stands daily at his service verse 2 goes on to say that he's serving he's a minister of in the holy places in the true tent the, the word minister here we would we would might assume would be our word deacon that's the normal word for deacon. Deaconess is minister, ministry. But this one is liturgos. He's the liturgist. When we come to the worship service, it's kind of redundant. Worship and service really are the same thing. The service is our service that's rendered unto God. We serve the Lord when we gather on Sunday mornings for this this Lord's Day worship, we render our service up unto God. Our worship, our liturgy. Good stuff. Well, here is Jesus also, the great liturgist, He's he's our real worship leader. And He's there, gone before us, into the inner sanctum at the right hand of the Father, and He continues to serve. Serving His Father and serving His people. As that mediator, that priest, the go-between from men to God. Serving. And he's seated, serving. So this seating is not inactive, passive. Jesus is continually active, serving the needs of his people. And he's in a place that is pitched. A tent that is set by God. Yes, in the true tent, holy places, the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. See, God doesn't live in tents or tabernacles or temples, buildings made by human hands. He doesn't and can't be contained by such. Acts chapter 17, Paul uh, reflects upon this, this little truth as he's Witnessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So we render our service under God, but it isn't as if he actually needs it. He deserves it, but he doesn't need it. He needs nothing. Verse 48, Acts 17 goes on. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Even as the prophet said, this would be Isaiah, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord, What is the place of my rest? Did I not, did not my hand make all of these things? God made all that is, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, material and spiritual. He made it all. We can't render to Him anything that isn't already His. And He can't be contained in these buildings. This is not the house of God. This is the church house, but not the house of God. So the application that the preacher of Hebrews wants to drive into us in chapter 3 and verse 1 and chapter 12 and verse 2 is set your mind on Christ. Look, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who has gone before us and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Get your vision higher. Get your vision clearer. Stop gazing at the shadows. As pristine and beautiful as the star and the sun and the moon, even as we sang in the in the choruses this morning, the hymns this morning, as pristine and beautiful as sublime as they are, they are shadows of glory. They pale in comparison. you think the sun is bright it's nothing compared to the brightness of God's glory. Well this is a real place a real the real place He goes on that there's a, a pattern verses three to five. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. It's necessary for the priest to offer something. Now, if he were on earth, that is Jesus, he wouldn't be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, same word, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. A revealed pattern. Sacrifices are part of it. There are sacrifices. And in, in in this New Testament time and era, the temple is still functioning. And they're offering animal sacrifices. And Jesus is not there. Jesus is not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the holy place. He, he never had been. Jesus' earthly ministry, he walked in the temple courts, but never in his earthly ministry did he go into holy places. Never did he offer an animal sacrifice. He's disqualified to. Is it okay to say Jesus is disqualified? He's disqualified to serve in the earthly shadow tabernacle and offer animal sacrifices. He's qualified, perfected, completed, fulfilled. Himself as a sacrifice in heavenly places. So the very fact that He didn't do anything in the earthly temple proves that He must have done it in heaven. That's the argumentation of the author of Hebrews. Pretty dynamic. Well, there's a pattern and a superiority to to this. The pattern actually is this word model. Model. Now, Oftentimes, I suppose you know we we think we think of of models um, two, two directions, right? You think of of someone doing a portrait, and there's a model sitting for that for that painting, that portrait, and that the the model is the original, and the portrait is the copy. But uh, in other ways, the model can be the copy. I, I used to as a, a young lad and adolescent, enjoy military model kits. I did planes and things, but my my real fascination was with World War II anti-tank vehicles. Yeah, just for whatever reason. Had, Had dozens of them. Dozens of yeah, so that's wonderful, and it's fun, and you know, and you're sitting there putting the models together, holding the pieces for minutes at a time, waiting for the glue to dry, and listening to World War II history stuff in the background, or looking at photos of the vehicle you're putting together, all that kind of thing, shadows one day i um uh, years ago now, I was down in Louisville for a um, gospel no together for the gospel conference, and we had the afternoon off. And I'm sitting in, what am I going to do in downtown Louisville? I'm not a, really a downtown kind of person. Uh, hmm. The Patent Museum's not that far. It was further than I thought, but it's Kentucky. Uh, drove down to the Patent Museum. In the Patent Museum, they had some of the original things. That my models copied the real deal. They're huge, ginormous. Real steel. I don't know if the if the museum's still there. It moved the military unit that had been there. Moved, I think, down to Texas, and it, who knows? The gold's not there. I you know that. Fort Knox. We could have a lesson in economics, but we won't. So shadows. The real thing is in heaven. what they experienced in the tabernacle and temple was the shadow. So here's an example of, of the pattern. Um, around the, the top of the temple would be carvings of pomegranates and, and archangels. And it represented, it represented, in one sense, the Garden of Eden and the cherubim that were protecting and guarding the way into the holy place. And that's what you're reminded of when you go into, into that structure and setting. How can you approach God? How can you, as the author of Hebrews says, draw near to God? Well, you have this, but it not only is it a depiction of, of the Edenic reality, but it's a picture of worship in heaven. I mean, we could go to Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, and we get a glimpse of the real deal. Exactly how it all fits together. I guess we have to plow ahead into chapter 9 and he'll reflect a little bit more upon this covenantal worship. But, but I don't know, here, Revelation 4, let's just get a taste of this heavenly worship. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, and verse 2. I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on those thrones were 24 elders angelic beings, heavenly creatures of some kind, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, pause. Why are there 12 tribes and why are there 12 apostles? Because there's 12 elders on thrones in God's throne room. Wow. Wow. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Probably that means the perfection, the Holy Spirit himself. And there before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind and the first living creature like a lion the second like an ox the third living creature like had the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight we we've been introduced to this kind of worship before in the book of ezekiel we've seen these heavenly creatures before when ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air And full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. Was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Well, then the seals opened up, and more worship comes in chapter 5 and verse 8 they'd taken the scroll of the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the, our prayers are prayers. Jesus brings up into heavenly places and He collects them in the bowl of incense. They're your prayers. Jesus has them. He's gathered them. He's collected them. Every word, every sigh, every moan. And they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it gets louder. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped and they do this all over again. Perpetual worship. This is just a glimpse of the revealed heavenly worship pattern that there is and what we have recorded in the old testament of the the liturgy and the order and the sacrifices is a shadow depicting what's going on in heavenly places now revelation is really a book of worship we tend to use it only as a book about end times and prophecy but it's about worship there's seven places throughout the book of revelation where this kind of worship happens and then at the end of chapter 22 it comes the command worship Christ worship God worship him worship him Okay shadows Do you find do you find yourself playing in the shadows One commentator makes a poignant application this way. He says, to go back to the Old Covenant meant forsaking the realities of heaven for earthly imitations. These people had known the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why go back to sacrificing animals and shed blood? It's pointless, useless, meaningless. Why go back to the shadows when you've come into the light of Christ? Now, we see this problem for them going back to Old Testament, Old Covenant ways and patterns and symbols, but we can have a similar kind of problem if we slide our way back to a formalism. There's nothing wrong with liturgy. That Jesus is the liturgist. There's nothing wrong with the liturgy. But if, if we slide into a formalism, then we're playing in the shadows and not in the light of Christ. Well, verse 6 and 7 go on, there's a righteous promise. There are, there are several of these new covenant, uh, covenants. There's one new covenant. Uh, quickly outline the different covenants that are there in the Scriptures for us. Next slide. Um, you have the covenant that was in Eden. This takes a lot more explanation. But notice there's... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these. The ultimate is the new covenant. Jesus inaugurates the new covenant. He says in Luke's gospel, and in Paul repeats it in First Corinthians when he tells us how we're supposed to gather as the people of God on the Lord's day and celebrate the Lord's supper at the Lord's table. They did it every every Lord's day. They would gather, and he said, uh, Jesus said, "This cup is the new covenant." in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant is inaugurated in Jesus Christ, in the shedding of His blood. He is the one who starts this new covenant. He is the fulfillment of all the others. And the law was given as a tutor to grab the children of Israel by the hand and say, let's go, let's grow up, But the new covenant would come and it's anticipated in Jeremiah chapter 31. And verses 8 to 12 in Hebrews 8 quote this entire section from Jeremiah 31. It's the longest Old Testament citation in the new. Throughout all the New Testament, this is the longest one. It's that important. And he he lists the new covenant. This, we'll call it relational pardon. The new covenant For the forgiveness of sins. Verses 8 to 12 follow. God says, I will six times. God is promising. God is active. God will do for His people. The new covenant is not about what the people can do for God. The new covenant is about what God has done for His people. Through Christ. And He's made a new covenant. Verse 10. It's internalized. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after the days decurs the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. This new covenant is internalized, not written on tablets of stone on Mount Sinai, but written on your heart and your mind. Indeed, Ezekiel says you must have a new heart to begin with. Ezekiel 36:26 I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You need you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. And you need to be brought to life. And the spirit of God breathes life into you and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and respond with faith and repentance in Christ. And that's the fruit of a new heart regeneration, born again by the Spirit of God. It's internalized. Okay, Ezekiel says he'll give us a new heart and a new spirit and Jeremiah says I will I will write these. I will impress my will and my word internally on you. It's internalized. It's personalized. Verse 10 uh, goes on. It says I will be their God and they will be My people. It's a relationship, an intimacy. He gives himself to us and we to him, like another old hymn I am his and he is mine. And what happens in this relationship, everything that your complex personhood requires is found in him. When God is yours and you are His. Internalized. Personalized. And verse 11, shall we say, oh, evangelized. They will not teach each his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They will know me from the least to the greatest. Jesus talks about salvation this way. Jesus says in John's gospel that eternal life is this, that you may that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17:3. What is eternal life? What is salvation? To know God and his son Jesus Christ. So when the New Covenant says, they will, they'll know. You won't have to tell them because they know. Well, they've already been evangelized. They have the new heart. They've been made alive in Christ and they know God. And it is personal. In the Old Covenant, it was corporate. The whole group crossed the Red Sea. The whole group followed Moses. The whole nation was under the covenant. Every male child was to be circumcised with the mark, the sign of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, none of that. In the new covenant, we come one by one as the Spirit makes us alive unto God through Christ. Christ. Some of you know when that happened. Some of us know it must have happened because we're alive. We're not going to get caught and stuck on a particular date or time. But this is essential that you you know that God has made your heart alive unto Him. And you've responded to His invitation and His call with faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And the re- the result is a justification or as the words used here, forgiven. Verse 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now it's not as if God forgets. God can't forget. And it doesn't say that He forgets, does it? It says He will remember no more. That's different than forgetting. He remembers no more. This is a... A sovereign determination of his will not to hold it against you, not to use it against you, not to use it to your disadvantage. Remembering is not forgetting, it is the mental, intellectual effort to do something for the person remembered. Or in the case of forgiveness, not to do something in the case of the person remembered. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. And mercy, this is over simplistic, but it helps. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Eternal condemnation and separation from the God who made us. Aren't you glad that he remembers your sin no more? The conclusion of this is verse thirteen. the The old is readily passing. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what has become obsolete is growing old, and is ready to vanish. Hold, old here is not meaning necessarily old age. It means that it's out of date. And aren't you glad that old age doesn't necessarily mean you're out of date? Here, it's the idea of annulment. It's, ma- it's, ma- it's expiration date. It's like those car seats that you had to put in, in your car. And they have an expiration date on them. Did you know they're printed on the back? They're six years. And pfft, oh, that's hard when you've got a big family. You know, you try to recycle them on down to the next one. And then by the time you get to you get to the, the little baby boy over here and the first car seat's expired. What? The Old Covenant's expired. It's annulled. It's past its, its due date. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Now you're 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 sharp people, you're saying, when we when we read this in Hebrews eight, and when I when I went to the cross reference all the way back in Jeremiah thirty one, it says to Israel and Judah, where do I fit in? Good question. When God made that initial promise to Abraham, he said that through your seed will be a blessing To the nations. And that comes to its fulfillment. In the great seed. The Lord Jesus Christ. The son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Through which the blessing to the nations comes. How do we get in on the new covenant? We come to Christ. And then he engrafts us into these wonderful blessings and promises of forgiveness and an internalization and a personal relationship intimacy with God I I plead with you that you come to this place of relationship in Jesus Christ stop playing in the shadows of religion playing in the shadows of formalism playing in the shadows of of darkness and sin and death and come into the light of Christ and live so father indeed bless and keep your people father make your face to shine upon your people and here even now would you call a people by your name and for your glory May we heed the call and come to faith in Jesus Christ coming out of the shadows and into the light. And now we, we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now we know in part then we will be fully known and we, will show, we shall fully know. From one degree of glory to the next transform us into this image of your Son Jesus Christ. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Shall we stand together for the blessing? We'll take it from the end of Hebrews chapter 13. And now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good to do his will, working in you what is pleasing and perfect in His sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.